Let's join our hearts together in prayer and prepare ourselves for the message this morning. Father, may your word come clear and sharp and precise into our hearts. And Lord, may it change us uh, forever. Lord, may these next few moments be a time of impartation from your spirit. Lord, do what man cannot do, and that is change us from the inside. That, Lord, we might be a part of your desires for the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to share with you this morning five values I have learned about compassion. These values have changed my life and helped me to understand the Lord's intention toward people. These are principles that Jesus modeled, the values of compassion. The word compassion means to sympathize with another person's distress, but together with a desire to alleviate that distress. Now, we might have empathy for someone and even feel sorry for them, but feeling empathy and having sorrow is not really compassion. We might feel ashamed that we've had advantages that someone else has not had, but feeling shame is not compassion. Compassion means simply to care for someone, but to care for them so deeply that we would actually do something to change their condition. Now a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him. He said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Mark 1.40 In the spring of 2005, Beverly and I launched a new church in Islamabad, Pakistan. And in the course of that work, we learned about compassion for healing. In this passage, the Bible says that Jesus was moved with compassion. The word moved means to be stirred within the bowels or to yearn deeply within ourselves. Compassion is emotional. That church grew rapidly and far beyond our expectation. We never dreamed that we would start a church in Pakistan, much less a church that would grow in such an astounding way. That congregation set a growth curve that we've not seen duplicated in any of our other church plants in South Asia. It's grown to a present-day attendance of 1,500 adults in the Sunday morning service. And the children come in such multitudes, we don't even bother to count them. I'll never forget the first service we held in the launching of that church. We had purchased a little piece of land in a community called Iqbal Town on the outskirts of Islamabad. Our first service was an open-air meeting, and it was cold. About 600 people came to hear the gospel. We spread mats on the ground, and there they sat as I preached. I remember clearly a Muslim woman who came late for the meeting and sat over to my right, clothed from head to toe in a dark garment. The only thing I could see of her were her dark, uh, penetrating eyes. I remember preaching to her as if she were the only person in the meeting. My heart went out to her. And I was moved with compassion. 
I remember my disappointment when she left before I could close the meeting. And I watched her as she left the gate to our property and handed a note to one of our leaders. That, note tra- that leader translated that note from Urdu and read it to me after the meeting. It said, Dear Pastor, I wanted you to know that I came to the meeting tonight with a female problem that I've had in my body for seven years. I've been to many doctors and I've taken many treatments, but so far no one has been able to help me. But while you were preaching, I felt something happen in my body. And she said, I'm certain that Jesus has healed me. We had some of our leaders visit her. Three months later, we found that she was still healed. Now, how is it that a Muslim woman who's not even a believer was healed? Compassion. The Lord has compassion for healing. When he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends. Tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he's had compassion on you. Mark 5:18. Bev and I have been working alongside Pastor K.B. and his wife Sushila for five years. In Western Nepal, we've helped them to grow their model church from 150 to over 700 adults. Together, we planted over 135 village churches. And some of these village churches are significant in size, up to 300 members. Until a few years ago, there were hardly any believers in this area. There was a group called the Taru people who were unreached. No Taru believers. But now there are literally thousands of Taru believers in our churches. 99% of our church members are first-generation Christians coming out of Hindu and Buddhist backgrounds. Through Pastor KB and Sushila, we're now pastoring over 8,000 Nepali believers. We have a conference there in October, not every year, but about every other year. And our first conference was a dream come true. Ten years ago, when we planted our first church, I had a dream that someday we would bring the pastors together that we have helped to mentor from Nepal and Sri Lanka and India and Pakistan, and that we would share a platform of ministry together. And in that conference about three years ago, the young man that I mentored in Sri Lanka, the young man I've mentored in Pakistan, a young man I've mentored in India, and a young man I mentored in Nepal, all of us met together there in the, on, that, on our conference grounds. There we have about five acres of property, and there are about 5,000 of our believers assembled, and all of those brothers stood and ministered to our people. Beverly and I wept as we saw our sons lead our people. It's a dream that I never thought I would realize. And a dream that brings great satisfaction to my heart. Because I know that Beverly and I have brought change to an area of darkness. I love Pastor KB and his wife Sushila. And I have seen that they have a compassion for people. And especially a compassion for deliverance. It's very common in our churches for someone to fall on the ground under the power of demonic influences. They've come out of idolatry. Often in our meetings, uh, someone will cry out and there'll be the need then for deliverance. 
when people have lived for thousands of years in idolatry and uh, bowed themselves to idols, there is a bondage that comes that can only be broken through the power of prayer. We've seen many hundreds of our believers delivered from Satan's bondage. The one in particular was a lady that has moved Beverly Nye's heart. Her name is Kalsi. KB and Sushila were coming back from one of their village churches and they saw Kalsi walking in the streets of their city. There she is. She was naked. She had feces smeared all over her body. Sushila stopped the jeep and brought her into the jeep, wrapped her in a blanket and took her home. They began to pray for her and care for her. They washed her, gave her new clothes. And uh, her condition, however, didn't improve. And for many weeks, they would come in the morning and find her again naked and, and with her own feces and urine smeared on herself and on the, on, on the room. But they continued to pray and continued to feed and clothe her. And finally, after about a month, Sushila came to check on her one morning and found her clothed and in her right mind and combing her hair. She wouldn't talk about her past, and we never knew what her story was. But in one of our conferences, a village member from her village told us her story. She was kidnapped by a Muslim man and held in India for a number of years. She had that man's child. One day they were in a train station. The man became angry with her and threw that child onto the tracks. The child instantly died. She lost her mind in that moment and began to wander the streets of India. Somehow she found her way back to Nepal where KB and Sushila found her. I saw this woman just a few months ago. She's happy. She serves in our compound. She helps to prepare the food and wash the dishes. She was clothed in a bright red and blue sari. Kalsi knows the power of deliverance. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude, was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Mark chapter 6, verse 34. In the year 2000, Bev and I launched a new church or began a new venture of faith. We had lived a fulfilling life. Uh, seven years as missionaries and 14 years as missions pastor at Bethany World Prayer Center right here in Baton Rouge. Our boys were grown and we had built a dream home in South Baton Rouge. But there was something stirring within us to do something new and fresh and unique. We sold our home and we moved to Colombo, Sri Lanka. And there for three months we laid the spiritual foundation for a new church. In one year, that church grew from three couples to 150 adults. By the end of the third year, we had nearly 400 adults in regular Sunday attendance. And we were well on our way to purchasing our first piece of property in South Asia. Over the next 10 years, the Colombo Church would grow to 750 adults. Twelve congregations would be planted out of that church, and over 40 churches would come under its direct supervision and oversight. The Colombo congregation became a model or a template that we now use for all of our church plants in India and Pakistan and, and Nepal. What began as a season of dreams became the foundation for a lifetime of vision. But the most important lesson we learned in Sri Lanka 
was the lesson of compassion for another person's spiritual need. We fell in love with Deshaun and Stephanie De Silva, the young couple that we mentored as pastors. And we fell in love with that congregation. We literally spent every day with them for three months, eight, ten hours a day. We spent hours in prayer and hours in teaching and hours in dreaming. We taught them everything we knew about our marriage and about our ministry and about our vision for the future. We dreamed together that we would change a city. We learned to commit ourselves to someone else's success. When you have compassion for a person's spiritual need, their success becomes your success, and your success becomes theirs. You begin to love them like a son or a daughter, and you will do everything and anything you can to ensure that they achieve the things the Lord has for their lives. We now have six couples like Deshaun and Stephanie that we pastor across South Asia. And through those six couples, we're pastoring 15,000 believers. Compassion for spiritual need begins when you take a burden to do anything you can to ensure another person's success. When we visit the Colombo Church, our hearts are overwhelmed because we see lives that have been changed through compassion. Jesus had compassion for the multitudes. His heart went out to them because of their lack of understanding. He cared enough to teach them. He cared enough to deliver them. And He cared enough to see them healed. Now it happened the day after that He went into a city called Nain. And when He came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother. She was a widow. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Luke 7, verse 11. I have learned that people have emotional needs. Many people live their lives in bondage to things that have happened to them in the past. Many people's hearts have been broken. They've been worn down and disappointed by the struggles of life. Life does have a way of wearing us down. Things happen to us that we never dreamed or never expected would happen. 2002, Beverly and I began a children's home in Nepal. It began with just four children and quickly grew to 14. The oldest is 17 and the youngest is now 10. But when they came to us, they were little guys, four, five, and six years old. I have 14 stories I could tell you, but I'm just going to tell you a few about our kids. One's, little, one's name is Silas, and when I first saw Silas, he was about five years old. He came and uh, wrapped his arms around my legs, and he looked up to me and called me uncle. And in that moment, I fell in love with that little guy. But when we brought him in, he had a deep infection in his leg. The infection had gone all the way into his bone. We took him to the hospital and we found that uh, he might have to have his leg amputated. We prayed for him and believed God for him and, and uh, I provided the funds that we needed to put him there in the hospital. And in about three weeks and through therapy and through antibiotics, we were able to save Silas's leg. He has a deep scar there and much of his muscle tissue is missing, but he can play soccer with the best of them. And he's full of brightness and enthusiasm. He's at the top of his class. 
But you know, Silas has felt this, this sense of abandonment. He was abandoned by his uh, father. His mother passed away. But Silas now has a family that he lives with and it cares for him. And the Lord is meeting his emotional need. Nobin and Raj are two brothers that we found eating out of a garbage dump. And there's not much to live from in a garbage dump in Nepal. Those two boys had been abandoned by their father. Their mother was still living. But we brought them into our home. And, and as we've worked with them, we found that all of these children come to a place in their life where they say to us, Why doesn't my father love me? Why doesn't my mother care about me? And we found that we must minister to their emotional needs and help them understand that God has given them a family and a home. There's a little girl, Sharmila, one, Sharmila, one of my favorites, and Sharmila's mother was a prostitute. Her father passed away and left her with five children, and the only way she could care for her children was to sell herself. We don't know what's happened to her because she abandoned Sharmila and she has somehow disappeared. Sharmila knows the emotional need of being abandoned. I could go on and on and tell you stories of our children, but all of them are now healed and whole. They're top students in their class, and they're walking in the blessing of the Lord. Their emotional needs have been met through compassion. Jesus called His disciples to Him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they've now continued with Me for three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their houses, they will faint along the way. For some of them have come from afar. Mark chapter 8. In early 2009, I flew from our ministry base in southern Nepal to the city of Joomla. Joomla is an isolated mountain town in western Nepal, in the lower ranges of the Himalayan mountains. The only way in and out of Joomla is to walk or to fly. And from Joomla, I hiked over a 13,000-foot ridge with two of our Nepali leaders to a village at the headwaters of the Karnali River. There we have six churches that have all been planted within the last three years. On my fourth day in the valley, I visited a home where 25 blind children lived. It was an amazing experience. One of our most effective leaders in this area is a 19-year-old evangelist who himself is blind. He came to the Lord through the ministry of our area leader, who was an ex-Hindu priest. And through this man's ministry, 17 of these young blind children had become believers. As we visited the children, though, I felt that something wasn't quite right. Their living conditions were deplorable. It was dirty and dark. Their clothes were inadequate for the harsh mountain weather. We shared a lunch with them, and the only thing we had to eat was a boiled potato, one potato for each person. And as I ate that potato sitting on a dirty little bench, I said, Lord, if there's ever anything I can do to help these children, I'll do it. A few months later, I received an email from our senior leader there, Pastor KB. And he shared with me that the European organization that had been funding the support of these children had suddenly cut all of their support because of suspected corruption. Some of the children had no place to go, and they were brokenhearted. I found out later that for two months they had not had enough to eat, and most of them had lost weight. I was moved with compassion, and I remembered that promise that I had made to the Lord, 
It didn't take long for Beverly and I to commit to the support of 15 of those children. We set a budget of $1,500 a month and immediately sent $2,000 to them to help them get started. We bought new clothes for them and new boots and warm blankets and, and sacks of beans and rice. I got a report just a few weeks later that some of them could not stop weeping for gratitude. We've seen tremendous benefits in the acceptance of the village people to our message. When we first came there, there was persecution to our leaders and, and uh, there was questions, why have you come here and why are you starting these churches and why are you upsetting our traditions? But as they saw how we reached out to those that they could not care for themselves, they began to open their hearts to our message. You know, Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. I know that we cannot feed and clothe every poor person in the world. We cannot provide safe drinking water for every village. We can't care for every blind person. But we can do something. Compassion can make a difference to someone, somewhere, somehow. But I have learned something about compassion. And that is that compassion does not come freely. Compassion has a cost. Compassion will cost you. It'll cost time. It'll cost you effort. It will cost you resources. But there's also a price for not having compassion. And that is a price that, believe me, none of us want to pay. You know, compassion is within the capacity of every human being. Compassion is not something we should even pray for. It is something we already have. Compassion is something we allow to flow out of us. But there is a difference between human compassion and divine compassion. And when you receive divine compassion, human compassion is overwhelmed and channeled into great fruitfulness. But without the touch of that divine compassion, without allowing God to move deeply and stir your heart and to touch your emotions, you can never achieve great fruitfulness. About three years ago, Beverly and I were in Nepal. And I got word that our church in Pakistan had been uh, under an attack, and not a physical attack, but men were trying to steal our property. And so I told Bev, I've got to go to Pakistan and resolve this problem. It's very dangerous at that time. It was just a few weeks before Benazir Bhutto was assassinated. The military had taken over the country. There was a military curfew in every city, a total lockdown. I knew that my going there would be dangerous. But I said, Bev, I cannot abandon our pastor, Safir. He called me weeping on the phone and said, Pastor, I need you. In all of our 38 years of marriage, till that point, Beverly and I had never had what I call the talk. We've been in many dangerous situations and I've taken many risks with my life. But I've never sat down with her and told her what we should do if something happened. But I felt a certain trepidation about this trip and I told Beverly, if I don't come back, here's what you need to do. And she cried and 
I got on the plane, flew into Karachi. The streets were deserted uh, because of a dusk-to-dawn curfew. And then there in Islamabad, I was threatened by a group of men trying to steal our property. They told me that if I came to the church on Sunday, that they would meet me along the way and take care of me. I said, what do you mean you're going to take care of me? They said, you know what we mean. And I said, do your best. I will be there. I got up early Sunday morning before the sun came up and I spent a lot of time in prayer. And I thought that I would pull down the powers of heaven and take authority over the forces of darkness. And I thought that I would pray the prayer of boldness and faith. But you know what I felt myself doing? I found myself kneeling at my bed and repenting of all of my sins. Now, I haven't been a great sinner. (laughs) But all of us have sinned. And I have learned that when you're about to face the end of your life, there's a certain humility that comes upon you. (laughs) And whether you've sinned or even thought of sins, you will confess them to the Lord. It gets serious. I went to that church and uh, in the morning those men did not meet me on the way. and, And I preached to our congregation a message, a simple message about forgiveness forgiving our enemies and praying for those who despise and persecute us. I preached for two hours that morning out of 1 Corinthians 13 and and out of the Sermon on the Mount and the fundamentals of our faith. And our people were so moved with repentance and humility that there was a flood to the altars and all our whole congregation came forward and began weeping in repentance before the Lord. We had an outpouring from heaven. It's one of the greatest services I've ever been in. We have an old sister in our church there, Pakistani. She's in her early 70s and she's a little bit large. She speaks some English. Uh, All of her teeth are missing. And after the service, she came running up on the platform and she grabbed me and she spun me around like this. And she said, oh, pastor, 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 you have come like Moses to deliver us. And she kissed me right on the lips. (laughs) The first thing I did when I got back to Nepal was I confessed to Beverly that I had kissed another woman. (laughs) For the first time in our marriage. But I said, I can promise you it'll never happen again. (laughs) Pastor Saphir came to me after that service and he knelt at my feet put his hand on my shoes as a sign of respect a great sign of respect in Pakistan and I realized in that moment a love for that brother that I didn't know I had you know Jesus said greater love has no man than he that is willing to lay down his life for his friends sometimes we don't know what's in us until it's tested. I know that some of you here this morning, you say, Pastor Rick, this is all great. Uh, You know, how can I have compassion like you're describing? I, I need compassion myself. I've made mistakes and I've let my heart get cold and, and, uh, I've messed up some. 
Some of us here have been beaten down by life. And you know you've lost that edge of compassion. Father, may you move in this few moments remaining by your Spirit. And may you touch this congregation in a way that only you can do in Jesus' name. I'd like for you to stand together with me, please, quietly and reverently before the Lord. The Lord's presence is here in this room. I want you to close your eyes, bow your head, and give me just a few moments just with you and the Lord. If you'd say, Pastor Rick, seeing these people and hearing these stories has touched me today. And it has challenged me to ask for greater compassion in my own life. Not just to care about someone, but to do something. And I want to do something out of compassion. If that's you this morning, raise your hand because I want to pray for you. Anyone here? Thank you. Thank you. Keep it up there. Keep it up. Many, many hands just went up. You say, Pastor Rick, I, you can put your hands down. Pastor Rick, I really, you know, I'm not ready to do anything because I, I'm not right with God. And before I can give compassion, I need to receive His love into my heart. If you say this morning, Brother Rick, I know I'm not right with God. I know I'm not ready for His kingdom. If that's you this morning, raise your hand. You're saying, Pastor Rick, I want to get right. I want to repent. Raise your hand so I can see it. Please hold it up. Thank you, brother. Any more? Is there another hand? I saw one hand. Two. Three. Anyone else? I'm going to give you that just raised your hand an opportunity to come forward and give your hearts to Christ and to repent of your sins. Don't be ashamed. This is your moment to rise up and be courageous. I want you to come forward right now and stand here close to me where I can pray for you. Please come quickly. Come now. In Jesus' name. You need to get right with God. Or you want to become a believer and give your heart to Christ. Come quickly, quickly. Don't be afraid. Who would have thought that men would respond to a message on compassion? Who would have thought that men would come when someone weeps and, and uh, talks about emotions? Anyone else? Come quickly. Church, I want you to pray with me. Stretch your hands out to these three men here. Brothers, thank you for coming. We're going to pray for you, but this is just the beginning. You need help. And there are believers here who can help you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and I want you to pray this prayer with me. And church, I'd like to ask you to join with me in prayer. Let's all pray out loud together. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry. I have made mistakes. And I have failed you. I ask your forgiveness. Cleanse me. Deliver me from my habits. Give me your compassion. I'm sorry. But beginning today, I'm going to change. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to please you. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, bless this brother. In the name of Jesus. 
deliver him from every habit, from every limitation in his life. Give him faith in Jesus' name that he will be forever changed in Jesus' name. Now, brothers, I want you to sit right down here on this front row. Be patient with me, and we're going to have someone uh, minister to you and help you in just a few minutes. Yesterday, I drove into your church. I'm traveling in an RV, and I came. uh, The front gates were locked. Couldn't get in, so I drove around the property, and I missed the place where I could have pulled in and had to go down behind your property to turn around. I turned into a housing project back there, not more than a half a mile from where this church is. And in there, there was no place to really turn, and so I had to make a loop through that entire project. And I saw the gang members with their shirts off and their tattoos shining. It was Saturday night. I saw the men who guard the corners of that complex watching for who's coming in and who's going out. I'm guessing that you can pretty much get whatever you want pulling in there. I don't know, but I'm guessing. You know, right here on your doorstep, there's a place that needs compassion. You're not going to march in there and change that place. You're not going to win every one of those people to Christ. But I can promise you there are some children in there with emotional need. I can promise you there are some kids that will respond to your love and you might be able to win some of them. I can promise you there's an old lady living there with health conditions that when you pray for her, she might be healed. But she'll never be healed if someone doesn't go and pray. I can promise you that there's a man in there who's a great leader, but he's been beat down by life. He just needs somebody to notice him. He might have tattoos, but he's a leader. Church, it's time that we fill His house. Amen? Father, may You move in Your church in such a great way. Lord, may a movement begin in this congregation that each person here will take one soul and claim it for themselves in this year. If you say, Pastor Rick, I want to win a soul this year and I want to disciple someone like you have and I want to mentor them, raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. Raise it quick. Put it up there. Hold it up high. Father, give them souls in Jesus' name. Give them young men and women to disciple. But Lord, most of all, give them compassion for the lost. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, Our kids right now are in a rented building, and I'm embarrassed about it, to be honest. Uh, It's got cracks in the walls. It's cold in the winter, very cold up there in the wintertime. And uh, we've been debating whether to move them down south where we have better facilities or leave them in the north. Though it's isolated, it's a good place uh, as a base for that northern mountain region. We decided about three months ago to go ahead and buy property there and build a building. And uh, so that's a project that we've just undertaken. Uh, The Lord has been gracious to us, and we have about $16,000 already set aside for that project. Uh, We need $40,000 to buy a significant-sized piece of land. And uh, by God's grace, we will do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Gospel has never been preached in this area for over the course of human history. It's literally one of the few places left on earth uh, where the gospel has never been preached. 
Uh, Nepal only opened to the gospel in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. But West Nepal was controlled by Maoist guerrillas. And uh, the few people who came out of West Nepal, there were some who became believers, but very few of them returned. So in this valley uh, that, we've, that, that we've planted these churches in, we are the only churches there. There are no others. There, there's not even Catholics up there, and uh, <laughs> only Hindus and Buddhists. Uh, but the Lord has just opened a wide open door for us, uh, mainly because of what we've done to these blind kids and how we've helped them. Uh, I've never been a person who poured a lot of uh, resources into humanitarian work, but I have seen that our, our compassion must go hand in hand with our desire for souls. And I've had to change myself in this work uh, to be uh, devoted to people's physical needs. But as, as I have done that, the Lord has changed my heart and uh, helped us to move into great fruitfulness. We have about uh, 500 believers or so in that valley now, and uh, we're trusting that the Lord will give us the entire valley, about 75 miles long. I've walked that entire valley and uh, passed literally hundreds of villages and met pe person after person after person when we would say, uh, have you ever heard of Jesus? And they would say, what is that? Not who is that, what is that? And literally you can stand on mountain ridges and see village after village after village where the gospel's not been preached. Amazingly, some of our best evangelists are some of these blind kids. Uh, one of them, the 19-year-old boy that I mentioned, travels from village to village with a stick. He has a little child who helps and leads him. The people in these villages are illiterate. They can't read or write. He carries with him a, a Braille Gospel of John, and he will open that Braille Bible and begin to read uh, to the villagers. They'll sit literally for hours as he reads the Bible to them. So I could go on and on and on with stories of what the Lord has done there, uh, but it's truly been something supernatural that He's led us into.